I'm a prophet to those who receive me as a prophet. So I'm not pretending to try and be prophets to presidents and, and things like this. The time will come, but right now, no. So I shared with you last week, number one, the first message, and I've changed the order of it. I ran ahead of myself, but uh, from Isaiah 43, verses 18 to 21, behold, I do a new thing. We looked at the fact that I believe that we're in a dawn of a new day, something new. Not South Africa's new dawn, because that's turned out to be a bit of a nightmare. Seriously, it has. But spiritually, a new dawn. And I think sometimes we pick up on things in the natural that is transpiring in the spiritual. So technically, it was supposed to be a new dawn for South Africa. But anyway, so let's just move on. A new dawn, a new day, it's a good morning. Is that okay? Then we looked at the fact, Psalm 92 verse 10, David said, and he came to a particular time in his life where there was an unfolding of the succession of the dealings of God and multiple anointings upon his life. And he said, today you've anointed me with fresh oil. Fine oil has been poured over me. It was a time when he became king over all of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so with the new day, the new thing, there's a new anointing that's being revealed. And then last week's message, I think last week's message had a tremendous, tremendous response. It resonated with so many people. And I spoke about the fact that God always takes the initiative. And uh, God takes the first move. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave. He was the one that came looking for Adam and Eve. Adam, where are you? God takes the initiative with us. At best, all of our faith and our confession and all of those other things, good as they are, are only a response to what he's already done. And so God is initiated, and we looked at Psalm 37, and we broke that down, and we saw that we just need to respond to God. Is that okay? There's an appropriate response. So Second Chronicles, and I, I'm not sure where the chapter, but where it says, The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout of the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those, putting it in my words now, of those who are responding to him. In other words, whose hearts are perfect towards him. In other words, whose hearts are for God. So in other words, God wants to show himself strong for you. Come on, church. We need to start believing these things. Amen? So God wants to show himself strong on our behalf and uh, do mighty things for us. But I want to just backtrack from there, and I want to talk about this process with which I introduced last week's message with, and that is this process of sanctification. Sanctification is so important because when you get saved, you are holy, but you're not yet holy, if I can say it like that. You're righteous, but you need to become righteous. And so there's this process, and the sanctification, sancti, is um, saint. So you're in a process of God. You really are a saint, because when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says to the saints in Ephesus, the saints in Philippi. But in, I can't say in reality, but I mean, so in other words, if I was to forensically audit your life spiritually, we'd have to say, you're a saint. Is that okay? Now, the Catholics would normally do it until the person was dead, and they'd have to have worked quite a few miracles, and then they'd go, St. John of Benera Park. You know, that kind of thing. Paul says, when you get born again, it's a saint. But the thing is, there's a process, and that process that you are in is instituted by this God of love who's absolutely relentless. This God who doesn't only deal with us in the corporate, but he deals with us as individuals. The God who's involved in my everyday life, who cares about my thoughts and my concerns, who's, you know, he's kind of, if I can say it this way, monitoring my thought processes, not in a judgmental way, 
but so closely that he even picks up on my desires and he gives me the desires of my heart. I can't tell you in the last couple of weeks, I've just wished a thing and just thought a thing. I wasn't on my knees. I wasn't in fasting. You know, I didn't get down in heavy intercession. I just thought thing, and it, here comes the answers, and I'm going, Jesus loves me, this I know. He's an intensely personal God, deeply interested in our lives, completely committed to us, relentless. And then after that, then he's just extravagant, you know? And so this whole process of sanctification is an incredible process, an incredible process. You know, you come to church and you hear sermons and things like this, you do training, whatever. 99.99% of that process happens outside of Sunday. He's not only busy with you here in the corporate anointing and the present, but out there. Believe it or not, in your jobs, in your relationships, in everything. God is working. He's working as much as he's working here. We might not be in the atmosphere of a corporate anointing, but certainly God is with us. He's Emmanuel. But he's also Job at Zedkenu, Job in Kadesh, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord who sanctifies, you know? And so God is working with you. Woo-woo. Amen? So listen, there's a sense in which you're still on the surgeon's table, and the divine physician is still working, you know? He might have to add some parts in, but there's other stuff that he needs to take out. But God is working with us in this whole process of sanctification. It's absolutely awesome. And maybe later I'll just fill in something over here and uh, just talk about, you know, maybe kind of at the end of it. But I want to just use a personality in the Bible, a person in the Bible, and I want to just talk us through it. You know, we've got to kind of go back to somewhere around Genesis 25, and then we will start just walking through some of the chapters. Now, earlier in Genesis, we know all about Abraham. And, uh, you know, God took the initiative with him. He wasn't looking for God. God went and said, I'll bless you. Fair deal, you know. Okay, leave the place where you are and go to the place somewhere you haven't seen. I'll take you there. So he goes. And, of course, he gets the revelation when he believed God that God declares him righteous with God in right standing with God. And God says, I'll bless all families of the earth. Of course, he has a son. He dies. And his son Isaac then, who was a miracle boy, God then speaks the very same promise of blessing to him. And now, you remember, Isaac saw the blessing of Abraham. He lived in the blessing of Abraham. He was independently wealthy because of the blessing that was upon his father. And so he lived in that home. And so, you know, God repeats the promise to him. And now Isaac is able to say, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, because God's with him. And so he experienced it. Now, of course, later... Isaac marries Rebekah, and uh, they have children, two boys, Jacob and Esau. And they both grew up witnessing the blessing of God. And so it's listed, a lot of it's listed in Genesis 26. Genesis 26, how Abimelech was favorably disposed, even though his father Isaac, just like his father Abraham, had lied about his wife. And, uh, you know, some things are perpetuated. You know, we were talking the other day, you know, nature or nurture. And, you know, even kids, you know, it's their nature. You still nurture them. Yep. Is that all right? It's, it's very much like yaku, you know, because um, Lara has got mom's nature. <clears throat> so you could just leave it, but yaku has to nurture 
to just, you know, get it to come right, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just teasing you. I'm teasing you. You're lovely, and Laura's gorgeous. But there's nature and nurture. And so, you know, in the story that I'm about to tell you, I mean, you see nature, but you see nurture. Everybody say nurture. And we have a heavenly Father who understands our nature, but he's heavily into nurture. And that nurture is that word over there. And so he has this, um, you know, Abimelech, and Isaac is blessed. It's a year of famine, worse than the previous famine of Abraham's time. And God says to him, listen, the Philistines are sitting on their sack of seed and going, yes, there's a drought, we can't plant. And God says, hey, don't go down there to Egypt. Plant here, plant in this land. Same year, he was blessed a hundredfold. And it says because God had blessed him. So he received the blessing. So you understand, yes, Jacob and Esau witnessing the blessing of God. And they're seeing it. They're growing up. And there's many other things. You know, they dug up wells that had been stopped up, and there was disputes. And, you know, eventually they moved on. Abimelech says, you are too powerful. Isn't it amazing? The blessing of God that a king of a country says to an individual, we're threatened by the size of your household and your armed men. You need to move away. You know, because you could probably take out our army. Okay, everybody go, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, hallelujah. It's the blessing of God, isn't it? And so he moved away. God gave him space and, and things like this. And it's all there. Genesis 26 and so on and into 27. So Jacob and Esau. Now, when Rebekah fell pregnant, there was a jostling going on side of her. And she didn't realize that she had twins. She just thought she had one very hyperactive little boy. But uh, the jostling going on. So she goes to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord says to her, there are two nations in your womb. But part of the conversation from God is, but the older will serve the younger. Now, already that was a dead giveaway that the younger one was going to have the blessing of God. Is that okay? I mean, you know, the Bible's full. We can't go into all of the things. So everybody say, Rebecca knew. Yeah. Rebecca knew. Rebecca knew. She had the promise of God for her youngest son. So in the unfolding drama, it would make a brilliant TV series. You know, the love triangle and the rejections and the, you know, all the maneuverings and things like this. Sounds like a, yeah, I'm so glad that none of your families are like that. Yes, like. But anyway, so here goes the story. So now Isaac is getting old. There's Jacob. There's Esau. Esau's the hunter. Jacob is the stay-at-home guy and things like this. And it's now time to come and pronounce blessing and associate and move on the birthright. So, of course, the natural selection is the oldest. But God had said something. So the mother now decides, you know, well, let's make things happen here. (laughs) You know? And none of you wives would do that. You're all very submissive and things like this. But she starts to mark a plan. And so, of course, she calls Jacob in and says, this is what you need to do. And you know the story because you need to get the blessing. Now, understand already, Jacob had already connived to get the birthright. Esau sold it for a plate of stew that was a red color. And the stew was a reddish color. And that's why the Bible talks about the fact that the descendants of Esau are from Edom. So the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. And Edom simply means red. Because for a place of red stew, so I don't know what spice they put in there that made it lacquer red like this, he just gave away his birthright. Because he went and said, I'm hungry. And his brother went and said, Ish, let's make a plan. And he said, you give me the birthright, I'll give you the food. Sure, no problem. In the process, 
Esau despised his birthright. You can already see the indications, you know, from his mom's involvement a bit later on, and his indications now, there's something that's not absolutely sanctified in the life of Jacob. It seems like he needs a little bit of nurture. Is that right? So the process goes. Now she manipulates to get the blessing, because in the Hebrew mind, the blessing was more powerful than the inheritance, the birthright. And so you need to get the blessing that goes with the birthright. So he does it. Well, of course, Esau finds out he's after him, so he has to run away to his uncle's house, Laban. And when he gets there, he checks out Rachel. The Bible says she was beautiful, had a good figure. And uh, so he says to his uncle Laban, you know, um, all right, I'll work for you, but um, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And you know the whole story. Laban connives and gives her Leah. He was not so impressed with Leah, so he gets married. When he wakes up the next day, he goes like, ah, you know, it's Leah. It's not Rachel. So the uncle goes, that's okay. We can, uh, we can talk. <laughs> he says, you can have the other one, but another seven years work. The Bible tells us that he then worked a further six years for his uncle, 20 years at all, it tells us there. And in that six years, his uncle changed his salary 10 times. So that's a bit like, you know, you hear the story if you're in sales, you know, and uh, you're making too much commission and the boss calls you and he goes, no, we just want to adjust and, you know, we're going to set new percentages and, and things like this. We've got to keep you hungry and new targets and, you know, and all this kind of thing. And it changes. Bring down your commission and you've got to do more sales and all this kind of thing. Keep pushing you. And uh, so worse than any boss you've ever experienced, all right? Ten times in six months. Change your salary. Ah, well, let's just talk about it now. Let's just like, you know, why don't you take those kind of sheep when they have those kind of sheep? You know, but yes, Jacob, you know, he um, figures he's not going to go under for going over. So he does a little bit of woogie woogie, and then he gets his sticks, and he's like, nah, 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 nah. because the uncle said spotted and speckled, and it's like, nah, 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 put it down there. And it's like, woo, and they go and drink water. Then all the sheep in that start having spotted and speckled, spotted and speckled. And he's going, eh, put them aside, put them aside, put them aside. Eventually, the uncle's going like, yes, I don't know. You know, his flocks are getting bigger than his flocks. And he senses a, an attitude change. What is the attitude change? Yeah. How many of you ever, you know, in family or friendship circles or work, you experience attitude change towards you? Now, you've got to make sure that it's not because you're being a bad worker or anything like that. But um, how many of you know we're talking about nurture? What do you say, nurture? Talking about sanctification. How many of you know that in that period, God is not mentioned much. You know, Laban is mentioned. All his hard working and his conniving is all mentioned, but God's not mentioned. But does that mean God was absent? Does that mean God was not involved with Jacob? Of course God was involved with Jacob. And the thing was, God had already said, God had already said, I will bless him. God already told his mother, I will bless him. I mean, he's the grandson of Abraham. I mean, his father was saying, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And yes, Jacob, you know, what kind of God has he got? Well, this God revealed himself to him in Genesis 28. But anyway, maybe he's kind of forgotten that in the mangle of life, you know, in the intricacies of relationships, in the difficulties of situations, you know, where you're being taken advantage of and all that kind of thing. Maybe he's forgotten the promises of Genesis 28. Maybe the vision is a dim memory in the past, and it's not something that's vivid in the forefront of his mind. And Jacob is doing all of these things. So anyway, the story goes like this. 
And then he has Leah, and then he's got Rachel. And um, God looks at Leah, and the Bible says God saw that Leah was not loved by Jacob. So she starts having sons. You know, she has Reuben. And just in the names, if you read that story and read it objectively, you will see it's an extremely, extremely sad story. It's a household filled with pain and rejection. And you know that the mothers passed that stuff on to the sons. You know they did. Because they grew up in a place of conditional love, bartered love, and all kinds of things. Maybe it sounds like and resembles, maybe it could resemble some of our upbringing. However it is, it was extremely intricate, extremely complex. And so Leah is naming her children after her pain and basically saying, now he will love me. Now he will connect with me. Now maybe he'll accept me. Now he'll be bonded with me. And then eventually she has Judah. She says, well, now I praise the Lord because at long last, now maybe my husband will love me. So, of course, you know, Rachel is not having children. She looks with a jealous eye. You know, her attitude changes towards the other woman in the house, and goes like, oh my goodness me. And then she goes to Jacob and says, well, you better give me children. And he's going like, am I in the place of God? You know, like what? You know. So her pain is now put onto him. And he's going like, well, you know, I know spotted and speckled. You know, you know, got some sticks for you. You know, look at and change your attitude. I don't know. You know, so, I mean, who knows how to deal with a complicated woman? Not even God does. You know, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. And so, and so it's like, I don't, know, I don't know, I don't know. Then eventually God hears, and then she starts having children. And Leah stops having children. So he goes, huh, I'm going to get this right. So she takes her servant Bilhah and says, yeah, yeah, go to sleep with him. Then she has babies with her husband. She's going, look, now I've got another son. I'm, I beg your pardon? Surrogate mother. I thought it was my baby. <laughs> you know? So now, in, to all intents and purposes, he's got a third wife. Oh, my word. It's getting complicated. And then Rachel goes, it's a really good plan, but I won't admit it because, yeah, well, yeah, Zilpah. Yeah, go and sleep with him and have children with him. And then she claims her servant's kids as her kids. So now, poor Jacob's got kids from four women. It's just kidding. It's not even a love triangle anymore. It's, it's a mess up. <laughs> I mean, it's really complicated. There's so much pain. There's so much going on you know, in the whole process. So in between all this, he's got a really bad boss. <laughs> he actually happens to be family, you know, and uncle. He's got to pull his weight because he might send a message to mom and dad, you know, and all this kind of thing. It was stressful <laughs> for poor Jacob. Yeah, maybe you'll have more compassion for this man from now on. They say that um, in Christianity, we're allowed to marry 16 wives. Yeah, it's biblical. Four richer. Four poorer, four better, and four worse. I think he got the four worse. <laughs> he got the four worse. And so, okay, that was a joke. And uh, so he got the four. So it's, it's really complicated. But somehow in all of this, in all of this, the dealings of his uncle... And all of the stuff that's happening, it's as if Jacob is looking into a mirror. And really, he's seeing a lot of himself. But maybe he wasn't recognizing what God was trying to show him. Maybe he wasn't recognizing himself in the mess, you know, the, 
quagmire of all the stuff that was going on. Maybe he didn't recognize. Maybe he didn't realize it. But anyway, the attitude of the father-in-law, his uncle changes, and then it's time to go. And of course, you know, he doesn't even say goodbye. Off they go. Laban tracks him down. Laban wanted to kill him. And um, anyway, they make a covenant, all this kind of thing. But they get to a particular point. Genesis 32, verse 1. As they're processing back to the land that God promised to Abraham, because he was in Aram, as they're going back, he comes to a particular place called Mahanaim, and there the angels of God meet him. Now, that should have been a dead giveaway, don't you think? And uh, where suddenly the heaven that was closed, the God who was maybe, to all intents and purposes, absent, now begins to just lift the veil and basically say, no, I'm, I'm around, I'm around, I'm here. And possibly, prophetically talking, as a nation and in our living memory, we have never been at this place before yeah. with the pandemic. We've never been here. World economy, South Africa's economy is the worst it's ever been. Not really good statistics. Reading the newspapers like taking a laxative for many people. It wobbles the gut a little bit, you know? And so maybe we haven't ever been here before. But it doesn't mean the absence of God. It doesn't mean that there's no nurture of God. It doesn't mean that God is not working. Possibly, it means that He's working more intensely. Though invisibly. Though unfelt. Maybe not so easily discerned. God is working. So they come to a particular spot, and there's a brook there. And that brook is called Jabbok. And... Um, Jacob had been doing all this maneuvering, manipulating, because he thought, maybe I can bribe him. Because now he's heard Esau is coming, because Esau's heard he's heading back. So Esau is like, going to go and meet him. But Esau comes with 400 fighting men. Esau now is a powerful nation. He's a king. He's a, a king in his own right. He's a head of a, a, a country. He's got his own army. And of course, Jacob leaving, he has a household of fighting men and servants and things like this. But he's blessed. He's a king. Isn't it amazing that God blessed Esau? Yeah. When he cried out to God, do you only have one blessing? Bless me, even me. And he was blessed. And so here he comes to meet, and he wasn't bringing a picnic basket. Where they weren't going to sit down and go, hey, what do you have missed you? You know, Come, let's picnic. You know, The only utensils that were packed were all <laughs> long knives and spears, maybe, and bows and arrows. And that's how he was going to meet his brother. He was going to sort out this outstanding issue of having done him in. And so Jacob does all this manipulative thing, and he's sending flocks and herds as gifts. He tells all the servants, when you meet Esau, and he asks you, what are these? And you say, no, it's a gift from your brother. I mean, he can't wait to see you. <laughs> you know, send it ahead. And it was wanting to soften up the heart of Esau. And so now they come to this place. Now we're going to go to Genesis 32, because this description of here, I believe, fits in with you know, the next part of what I want to share in the series prophetically for us over here. Everybody say, this is for us. Say, this is for ACF. Say, this is for me. Say, it's prophetic. Say, this is God's intentions. Amen? So, um, the Bible is really such an amazing book. The Holy Spirit inspired every word. Words are not put in just randomly. Words are important. Now, when I spoke about the fact that it was a new day, I contrasted it with the biblical meanings of night. And one of the meanings of night in the Bible, uh, spiritual meanings, is 
the absence of God's presence. And so the Bible says that night, well, there's a telling thing. And maybe Jacob was not having goosebumps and the anointing flowing and all of this kind of thing. Now, maybe it was a bit of a night. Maybe for a lot of people, and it has been in South Africa, it has been a night. It's been dark and it's been tough. People have lost their jobs. People of ACF been made redundant. You know, for many people, it's a night. And maybe, maybe not directly related to the economy. It could be just the pressure and the fear, even on other members of the family, on other members of the household, larger family. It could be work situation. It could be anything. And it was night. And so Jacob gets up and he takes his two wives, his two maidservants, his other wives, <laughs> his 11 sons, because the last son hadn't yet been born, Benjamin. And he crosses the ford, the stream of the Jabbok. That's really interesting. It happened at night. It happened in this dark place. Everybody say nurture. You know, it's really interesting. The Bible does talk about that I will give you the treasures of darkness. And um, there are certain treasures that you get in the night that you don't get in the day. God is actively moving and, you know, everything you prophesy happens and everyone you lay your hands on gets healed and everything you declare and, and it's just life as roses. I don't know so much of there's much treasure at that time, but when it's night, certain things that you don't get in the daylight of evident blessing. So that night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his sons, and he crossed the Jabbok. Really interesting. The next verse, um, again, very, very, very poignant words. In verse 24, so Jacob, Jacob was left alone. So everybody say alone. Isn't that amazing? You know, in the, in the services and the meetings, and like corporates, awesome. And your God does do things individually. But it's in that place, whether with people or not with people. But he does it when you're the most alone. Because you can't give your attention to anything else. You can't be distracted, you know. And it's like, well, I'm all alone. And God goes, oh, this is fantastic. Couldn't wait for this moment. <laughs> you're, you're alone, eh? So nobody, nobody. It's just you. Huh. It's you and me. It's in that alone time. It's really interesting here. It was when he was alone. Now, this could have happened when all his wives were around and, you know, it could have happened when the maidservants were there and his sons were running around. And, but I've experienced it myself, and you see it biblically, and so I'm sure that you have as well. It's in those worst times, in those times of desperation, that suddenly, you know, God steps into the scene and then it's you and him. Amen? Yeah. So he was alone. And it says, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Everybody say daybreak. Daybreak means what? Morning. Everybody say good morning. Good morning. So what I'm talking about here, and I've mentioned this before, but God really spoke to me this week. So what I'm talking about over here is, is something that is extremely time sensitive. To say it's daybreak or it's dawn. It's dawn. So it's time sensitive. Maybe the church of Jesus Christ, maybe Christians, maybe we as ACF have reached such a spot. Maybe what's where we are now is time sensitive. 
Maybe it's a critical hour. Maybe God has brought us to this point. Because how many of you know God brought Jacob to this point? God was waiting there for him. He was on track, on time, at exactly the right spot. God was waiting. Because, okay, you've arrived. Didn't take you long, did it? 20-something years. But you got here. He arrived at a place, not geographical. He arrived at a place spiritually. That's why I saw the angels. Maybe we're at a place spiritually right now. And it's a time-sensitive time. We'll come back to Genesis 32, 24. Let's go to Hosea chapter 12, and we're going to look from verse 3. Hosea chapter 12 and from verse 3. Everybody say nurture versus nature. God is nurturing me out of my nature. (laughs) So this is Hosea the prophet reciting this story about Jacob, uh, prophetically about the nation of Israel. But he says this, in the womb he grasped his brother's heel. Now in the Hebrew mind you know this, when you were trying to grab someone's heel, it means you were a conniver, you were a supplanter, you were, you know, a heel grabber. I mean, you were going to try and do the guy in. But listen to this. Eh? As a man, he struggled with God. Let's just hold that verse there. As a man, he struggled with God. Other translations, let's change it. Everybody say wrestled. As a man, he wrestled with God. I don't know if you ever thought that. You know, very often the Bible, again, the Holy Spirit puts in a sentence and you read it, but if you go back and read it, and you go like, what? How can a man wrestle with God? Yeah. I mean, God. But as a man, he wrestled with God. So if we go back to Genesis 32, verse 24, where it says, and a man met him, and they wrestled all day. Who was the man? It was God. Now look at the next verse, verse 4. He says, he struggled with the angel. So it was the angel of the Lord, that appearance, you know, where God comes in anthropomorphic or human manifestation. And listen to this. He wept and begged for his favor. Jacob wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel. Okay, that's a little bit on. There was two Bethel occasions and talked with him there. Okay, so let's go back to Genesis 32 verse 24. Let's pick up the story again. So he wrestled with God. So let's go to verse 25. But you notice he wrestled with God until when? Until daybreak. The implication from Scripture is this, that the struggle intensified the closer to sunrise it came. Because nothing is mentioned of the struggle from early evening all the way through until now. The story is picked up now where God basically says to him, okay, we've been going at this 12 hours. It's time to quit. Let go. So when the man saw that he could not overpower him, So let's take out man and put in God. When God saw that he could not overcome Jacob, when God saw he could not beat him in this wrestling match, when God saw that he could not win. Now, I mean, we're talking about God here. Is that okay? So the title of this message this morning is Overcoming God. Fortunately, I've got a verse to back it up. Overcoming God. Everybody's thinking. Now, we, we, I mean, we're talking about God who created the universe. You know, the all-powerful God. Man is but dust. Momentary. God couldn't. I like 
Tommy Tenney wrote a brilliant book called um, God Chases. And he wrote this book about the fact that God is, is amazing in the sense that he wants us to chase him. Now, how many of you know God can outrun any one of us? God wants us to find him. How many of God can hide himself really well? You'll never find him. So the way Tommy Tenney explains it is like this. That's how God is with us. He runs fast enough to be caught. He hides visibly enough to be found. And so this was a similar occasion where he's wrestling till daybreak and he cannot overcome Jacob. But just to let him know, this is a, a nurture thing. He says, you're winning, but touches his hip and puts his, for the rest of his life he's walking is to remember, when I fought with God and I won. <laughs> and so he wrenched the hip joint out. The amazing thing is, the next thing is, in this whole process, we go to verse 27. We'll see that the man or, you know, God then says to him, what is your name? What is your name? In our wrestling with God, he will always ask, what is your name? Now, it's a bit like the wrestling match. Did God not know Jacob's name? So why does he ask the obvious? It's for Jacob's sake. Remember, Jacob was named after something he did when he was being born. Esau was named Red because when he came out, he was a redhead. But it says he was so hairy, it looked like he had a garment on. I mean, that's one hairy baby, you know. And... Um, you know, Esau was red, but Jacob came out grasping. So they went, oh, he's a little caniver, Jacob. And really it spoke prophetically of his whole character. Very often in critical times like where we are now, when there's a whole lot of nurturing going on, God will nurture in the background. God will nurture and nurture and nurture, but it comes to a point. Normally it's a dark time, maybe a pandemic time. Maybe a difficult time. When the chips are down and you're forced into a place where you have to introspect, and maybe that place is a jabbock for you. Maybe it's a jabbock in this time for the church of Christ. Maybe for ACF. We've never been here before. We've never faced these challenges ever, not in our lifetimes. It's not that it's not happened in history, but we've not experienced it. So this is something new for us. And so we come to this jabbock thing. So when God asked Jacob his name, it was more of asking him for an admission. So when he said, Jacob, it was an admission. It wasn't a confession. It wasn't stating a fact. It was an admission. And it was an admission of his character. Because of his history. Because of things that he'd been nurtured with. Things that followed him. Things that he took into his uncle's place things that he saw reflected in his uncle, he started to realize, but I'm being done in with the same thing that I am. And so that whole 20 years was a mirror event for him. And so he comes to this particular place, and God is caught up with him in a sense. And uh, it's now time to deal with certain things. It's like I said, remember, time sensitive. Remember I spoke about the four messages. So what is your name? It's an admission. Well, actually, it's two words that I want to write down, maybe, could possibly be. And so, basically, Jacob was very much independent, taking matter into his own hands. 
God had already told his mother he will be the one. But then they had to manipulate and connive, even when he was with his uncle, even though God personally appeared to him in Genesis 28, saw the ladder, angels ascending, descending. He said, I will bless you. I'll bring you back here. And all this, Jacob said, okay, if you'll do that, I'll tithe. Sets up the pillar, anoints it, calls it Bethel, whereas it used to be called Luz. Had this incredible encounter, but he's still maneuvering, manipulating, and trying to make this thing happen without the necessary nurture. So he says it's Jacob. And then God says to him, this is what God said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled with God and with men and have overcome. Isn't it amazing? God says, okay, you beat me. You've overcome. So what, what, what did that wrestling match look like? I'm going to just give you a quick clue over here. So he wrestled with God at a place called Jabbok. His name is Jacob. Jabbok and Jacob in the Hebrew, if you put it together, it's the word wrestled. How many of you know that God's really specific, hey? I mean, where you are at is not where I'm at. But together at the church, we're in the same place. I mean, and it's so worked out. I mean, it's worked out individually. So Jacob comes to Jabbok and they wrestle. Well, that's what wrestle comes from Jabbok and and whatever. Amazing. It's another thing about this word Jabbok means a place of emptying. So God is working on this. He's nurturing the nature. He says, you've wrestled with God and with man. You've overcome. So we already saw it. Hosea says that he wrestled with God. Wrestled with God. He goes on in those verses, verse 6, to talk about who this God he was wrestling with? The Lord God, Almighty God. The memorial name of God. More or less the same name that he revealed himself to Abraham. So he's taking him back and he's just connecting him to that blessing that he spoke about. That family blessing which he first spoke to in Abraham. So come on, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. Is that okay? So we've got that same paternal, that same spiritual blessing hanging over us. So same name, memorial. Go and read it then, Hosea 12, 3 to 6, 3 to 5, or something like that. Go go and read it. And then he goes on, and uh, he says, you've overcome with God. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. You've overcome me. So the context of it was that he sought the favor of God, the Bible says with tears, with supplication, Hosea says. So it wasn't a silent match. It wasn't a, a silent wrestling thing. One person was weeping and wailing and crying, and that person was Jacob. And I think that person, Jacob, had come to the end of you know, the culmination of the realization of who he was and knew this needs to change. Maybe we're, we're at such a time, you know, it's time sensitive, it's time critical. Something's got to change. And Jacob got a hold of God, and uh, God said, your nature has just changed. Your character has just changed. You're not a supplanter anymore. You're a prince with God. You're a God wrestler. You've thrashed it out, and you've worked it out with me. You beat me, you got it. 
you got the change that you wanted. Verse 29. Jacob said, please tell me your name. Because I want to understand your nature and your character. I want to know something more about you. You know me. I'm undone. But I need to know you. Maybe we're at such a place where we kind of have come to the, <laughs> the end of, I don't know, whatever we've come to the end of. But maybe we had a beginning. Maybe we had a point with the new dawn. Maybe we had a place now where it's like, I really need a greater revelation of God. I mean, I thought I had faith and no fear and all this kind of thing and, until I could possibly die if I catch the COVID thing, you know? And if it's not the COVID thing, well, the economy is, uh, figures are not looking good, you know? Maybe I'll be without a job and income or something like this. You know, and in the daylight to say, no fear, you know, I'm, I'm great and all that, trust God. But when it's night, I mean, it's a whole different set of emotions come. Well, maybe, maybe it's revealed things. Maybe it's shown what we don't actually have. Maybe that we say we have. Maybe, you know. But I believe the context for this message is the previous three messages. Can't take it out of context. So God says, so why are you asking me my name? <laughs> I mean, you know who I am. I'm the God that's been pursuing you relentlessly. I'm the God that met you in Bethel. I'm the God that met your grandfather. I've made promises to him and your father. I'm that same God. You grew up in a house of blessing. That's, that's the God. Why are you asking me my name? And then he says, I'll bless you. Blesses him. And in the blessing, there's a revelation of the character of God. Let's not take anything out of context at this time. The pandemic didn't catch God by surprise. Our economy hasn't caught God by surprise. God didn't fall off his throne when President Ramaphosa announced it. He didn't sit up in heaven and turn around to angels and go, now, there's a shock. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Angel all standing there with droopy wings. <laughs> Stop playing the violin. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. So, what revelation of the Father have we received in this time? Maybe it, it takes reflection and introspection, but we had such a time. We are church. We are, believe me. Yeah. I'm speaking prophetically to this church. This is where we are. And then God says, okay, but now bless you. Because my eyes were roaming to and fro throughout the earth. And I found that your hearts were strong and perfect towards me. So I'm going to manifest myself strong to you. So he blesses him. Isn't it amazing? So the thing that Jacob wrestled with God for, sought with tears and travail and intercession, and he overcame God. And in the overcoming God, he got the blessing. Because that's what he was wrestling for. God says, you won, so I bless you. I bless you. Verse 30, it says, so Jacob called that place, now it's across the Jabbok, I don't know how far, but he calls that place Peniel. And uh, he said, I saw God face to face. It's amazing. Job, when he was going through that terrible time, he said, you know, like now, it's as if 
before this trial I went through, it's as if I'd only ever heard about God, but now I've seen Him. Where did He see Him? Not in worship in church. <laughs> as awesome as that is and necessary as that is, but it was in Job's alone time because everybody left him. Come on, Jacob wasn't the only one that overcame God. Job did. David did after he fell with Bathsheba. He overcame God, and God said, you're a man after my own heart. Many of the men and women of God overcame God. And I'm sure in your life up until this point, somewhere you've had a jabbock. Somewhere you've had an encounter with God, and you overcame. But this is, this is a little bit more different because of the times we live in, because it's time sensitive. And he said, I saw God face to face. I've had a revelation of him I never had before. Seen him in a different light. And uh, of course, you know Peniel seeing the face of God. Remember, Jacob is limping. He's forever, his walk changed from that day in his meeting with God. And look at this, verse 31. And the sun rose. So what is your name? Admission. And then he asked God, what is your name? And because of the circumstances, it was a revelation. And so he says, the sun rose above him. It stepped into the new day, a new person. Jacob was now a different man. Because he was no longer Jacob, he was now Israel. And he's walking. Should we carry on one more verse? Verse 32. So anyway, just to finish the story, that's why the Israelites would not eat the tendon meat on, on an animal. But I, I just want to press on a little bit further. Jacob leaves the space. He goes on, catches up with his family. Whereas before, he even sent the wives and the children ahead to meet Esau. Ah, Leah I can do without. Send her first. <laughs> Because if Esau was so cross, he can have Leah. Remember that? Yes. You know, and her children and poor Bilha as well. <laughs> Might as well lump in that wife as well. She's so just like her mistress, you know. Yeah. Off you go. And then he does all the servants and the flocks and everything. And the last one <laughs> breaks my heart. But <laughs> Rachel, you're going to have to go. <laughs> I'll be behind. I'm praying. <laughs> I'll be there just now. I'll catch up with you. I mean, how wicked is that, eh? Yeah. But now it's a new day. He walks past them. He walks past them and he goes to meet Esau. Overtakes them. And there's Esau. He's going like, what is all this? All these, you know? In South Africa would say, now what's all these bribes, eh? <laughs> all these peace offerings. What's all this? He's going, no, that's just gifts, you know. <laughs> just, just a present for my boot, you know. We haven't seen each other for a long time. But he bows down, and uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis, that chapter, verse, chapter 33, that they hug each other and they weep. And Jacob says something. He says, to see your face is to see the face of an angel. When I look at you, I can see in this circumstance, I can see in this situation, I can see in you the activity of God to see the face of an angel. God is reflected in the circumstance now. Yeah. He can see God in the situation, and it's changed. So 
I want to just throw three things in as we draw this to a close. When you overcome God, you actually overcome yourself. When you overcome God, you overcome your natural self. So he overcame God. He overcame himself. It's not stated in the scriptures, but it's implicit in his nature change. The third thing is he overcame men. In other words, where he had created disharmony, we had created confusion, we had created an enemy, because he changed, they changed. Come on, it's not your mom, it's not your dad, it's not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your boss, it's not that situation, it's not even the pandemic, it's you. If we, if we win the struggle at the Jabbok, if we overcome with God, somehow everything changes. Is that okay? I mean, Leah still looked the same <laughs> after this. But something changed him. He loved her now. And so, you know, they started to realize, actually, our husband is quite nice as well, you know. And so everything changed. You see the face of an angel in the circumstances. What are we seeing now in the pandemic? But anyway, so um, what happened successfully in the nurture and the nature, God moved Jacob to dependence. I did a little bit of study. God changed him from Jacob to Israel. All of this is critical. So the Bible tells us in the next chapter that he leaves there. It's a new day. He's walking with Olympus, a new man. And I think it's Shechem. He gets to Shechem. At Shechem, he builds an altar. And at Shechem, he pronounces the memorial name of God, this name of God. And uh, he sets up an altar, and he calls it Al Elohe Israel, God, the Almighty God. Of who? Jacob, or who? That spot there, right there, right there, 185 years earlier, right there, Abraham, his grandfather, was following God. And he got there and God said, this is the blessing. This is the land I'm giving you. Right here. And right there, 185 years earlier, Abraham built an altar to God and called on the same God, the Almighty God. So here comes. He was at Jabbok. It was an appointment with God. This place is steeped in spiritual significance. 185 years earlier. This is where God said, Abraham, check, this is your place giving it to you and your descendants. He has the grandson, comes to the same place, puts it, El Elohe Israel. You read earlier chapters, Abraham would go, God, this mighty God, Abraham's God. Isaac goes, hey, he's the God of Abraham and Isaac. But you see, Jacob was never really convinced. Because of the need for nurture. He's finished at Peniel. He's finished at Jabbok. And he comes there. And basically what he's saying, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It's my God. He's the one that blesses me. Moved from independence to dependence. In the process, he underwent sanctification. Nurture change. So listen. The nurture of God is time-sensitive right now. 
because it's directly related to blessing and destiny. Directly related. So in the process of overcoming, the process of the nurture, the end result is, God says, you have the character to contain what I have for you. It's important, church. It's important. The New Testament calls it sanctification. It's important. So we're at this place right now where because of the urgency of the time, because of the nature of the situation, because of the, the dark days, uh, things like this, I'm going to just connect it to another verse. But in Hosea 12 and verse 5, 3 to 5 or 3 to 6, he says, when he got to Bethel, there he spoke to us. That's what the children of Israel are saying. He spoke to us. And it's time for, you know, the change to take place. That the world can look and go, hey, they're speaking to us. That younger believers coming into the kingdom can go, he's speaking to us. I had the privilege of meeting a young sales rep this week and had lunch with a friend of mine for, for many years. And somehow we got talking and, and the difficulty that him and his wife gone through with the lockdown and all this kind of thing. And he said, you know, part of my university. And he's not, you know, he's, he's in the process. God has got him on the hook and playing him in. And, you know, he'll be a Christian soon, you know. And so, you know, there's sufficient acknowledgement of God. But we just openly ministered to him and um, spoke to him and prophesied and things like this. And he said to me, you know, Pastor, one of, my, one of my universities in my learning curve, you know, coming out of a failed business and, and then into the sales thing and then straight into the pandemic, he said, my wife's business is completely shot and all that kind of thing. And he said, part of my university, my training has been this man, what I've learned from him. And that guy, has also had his stuff. He's also been through the mill. But he's come through. He's built an altar. El Elohe Israel. I've built altars. El Elohe John. The mighty God of John. So we're at such a place. This is where we are. It's time sensitive. So it's prophetic. So if you feel that maybe you haven't handled things so well. It's great. It's fantastic. You're coming to the end of yourself. Maybe you're disappointed with your disappointments. <laughs> maybe you're depressed because of your depression. Maybe you're anxious because of your anxieties. Maybe you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and fed up with being fed up. I don't know. But it just wherever we are, we get to that place. Listen, we have to see that there's nurture taking place. And God is preparing us for what is ahead. Imagine, imagine worldwide revival and unprecedented anointing and power falling on the church. How open would we be to corruption? How open would we be to bribes, you know, and things like this? Every revival, when it's crashed and burned out afterwards, you go and find all the wheelie dealing with money and the buying, of, you know, and, and the absolute fleshliness in revivals by people, not necessarily always the man of God, but the team around him. You know, you hear it sooner or later, it comes out because there wasn't the character to contain the power. So come on, it's time sensitive. God's preparing us. Israel. Al Elohe ACF. And I want us to, with the communion this morning, kind of to give God permission and say, Lord, I recognize your nurture with me. I realize, Lord, what you're doing, and I'm all for it. 
I'm up for it. I give you permission to continue because of what Jesus did. And so we are under threat of being blessed. You know, we've been condemned, what Reynard Bonker said. We've been condemned to victory. Yeah. And uh, our judgment is revival. And so God wants to do something that is so powerful and it's time sensitive. You know, it's just about daybreak and God's saying, okay, it's time to let go. No, God, eh, not until you bless me. Maybe it's that time. So let's take the wafer together and say, this is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was broken for me. Implicit in this body and in this bread is all the blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And I receive it all right now in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. And say, this cup is the New Testament, New Covenant in His blood. Let's say it. This cup is the New Testament in His blood. We take this in remembrance that He forgave us all of our sins. And healing is available for all of our diseases. We take this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's drink together. But I want us to pray. Did God speak to you this morning? Did God say something? I really believe by the anointing and the presence of God and the quietness in both services, I know that God is speaking to us. And there's unresolved issues, there's undoubted with things, and God's saying, okay, listen, it's a new day. I want to pour out a fresh anointing. I want you to respond. Will you respond? But let's, let's get to this Jabbok thing. Let's get past Jabbok. Let's get on to Peniel. Let's get on to Shechem. Let's get to the revelation. El Elohe, John. El Elohe, Bev. El Elohe, Asif. So, Father, I just speak blessing over your people. I want to thank you for the fact of God, of your extravagance. But, Lord, before that, I want to thank you for your persistent, loyal love. I want to thank you, Lord, for pursuing us relentlessly. You are a relentless God. Thank you for the place that we're at. Worldwide, the church worldwide, the church worldwide. Millions of Christians feeling very much the same way. God, I want to thank you. You've brought us to this point. And, Lord, we want to know. We admit our names. It's an admission. But by the same token, we're saying, God, now show us your name. Bless us. Bless us. Bless us, O oh God, we pray. And so, Father, in keeping with the prayer and the confession of your people this morning, as your servant, Lord, I speak blessing over your folks. I speak blessing over your sons and daughters. I bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, I want to thank you that the nurture has got everything to do with their destiny and their blessing. And Father, I want to thank you that you're so committed. You've brought us to this place, but now you will take us on. And Lord, we'll speak to those around us, and we'll speak to generations ahead. So I pronounce that blessing. May every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus be theirs for my brothers and my sisters in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let your peace be upon them. Let your peace. Let the joy of the Lord be their portion and be their strength. Father, I want to thank you that there will be such an optimism in them. They will be biblically, spiritually optimistic every day in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we all agreed and said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Hallelujah.